Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 18. Today's passage calls us to look at the destruction and judgment that comes upon Babylon the Great. This is a destruction and a judgment that was declared earlier in Revelation 14.8 and briefly shown to us in Revelation 17 verses 15 through 18. Jesus through John is revealing to us more of the destruction of Babylon and the judgment that comes because of her sins. And so with that in mind, let us approach God's word with humble hearts and open ears as we read from Revelation 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she is given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit as a queen. I am not a widow and I will never mourn. Just as an aside as we're going along, that's almost a direct quote from the passage from Isaiah we read earlier today. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her, death and mourning and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon, city of power. In one hour, your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh, and frankincense, of wine and oil, a fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and the bodies and souls of men. They will say the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your riches and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe, O great city! dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, woe, 
Woe, O great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. One hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's greatest men. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of the saints and of all who have been killed on the earth. Let us pray. God and Father above, you call us to be living sacrifices who are transformed by your spirit and your word, rather than being conformed to the spirit of this world. Use the preached word today to call us back from worldliness and into closer fellowship with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Babylon represents for us the worldly cultures and societies that are in allegiance with the dragon and with the beasts. God gathers a people to himself, places them in communities of fellowship, places them in churches, and in in places, the churches, which are places of fellowship and encouragement, and just as the dragon seeks to mimic God in other ways, the dragon seeks to gather people to himself also. Now, Satan does gather people to himself for defeat. If he is going to be punished eternally by God, he is going to take as many people as possible with him. And we have seen repeatedly throughout Revelation and throughout the rest of scripture that God is victorious over all the schemes of Satan, all of the attacks of Satan, and whatever he does to try to destroy God's people places another nail in his coffin and further shows the victory of God. Our passage today does highlight the judgment of Babylon, the judgment of these pagan cultures, these worldly societies, and highlights the justice of God in seeking her downfall. Verses 5 through 8 talk about how she has gotten what she has deserved as her sins are piled up all the way to heaven. As God has remembered her crimes and as God gives the call to pay her back double, which is a, a Hebrew phrase that has been translated into the Greek for us, but it's a Hebrew phrase that basically means that she has gotten what she deserves because of her sins against God. After the giving of the Ten Commandments, God gave Moses guidelines for handing out punishment for those who break his law. In summary, the guidelines have been stated that the the punishment must fit the crime. An eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth is not a call to get a sharp stick and poke out somebody's eye or a pair of pliers and yank out their tooth. It is a rule of thumb to make sure that the scales are balanced at the end of the trial and the punishment process. If you steal something, you either return it or you pay to replace it. If you kill someone, you pay with your life. The full measure of punishment must be dealt out and this sure judgment is declared upon Babylon in her rebellion against God and her allegiance to Satan and his minion. 
And in light of this judgment that is declared upon Babylon, we will look today at one warning, three laments, and two commands. I know I've got my numbers out of order. It should be one, two, three, but hey, I'm a theologian, not a mathematician. Behind these three points, behind the warning, the laments, and the commands is the call to faithfulness and trust. We are called to be faithful to God's call as witnesses and to God's obedience, and we are called to put our hope in God's justice as he meets judgment for evil. Our passage, one warning, our passage opens today with John saying after this, and it's important for us to remember that this is applied to what he sees in the progression of the visions not in a chronological progression of historical flow of time. And so after the previous vision, John sees an angel that descends from the heaven. And this angel is described as having great authority, as shining with a light that overpowers all the other lights that illuminate the world and who speaks with mighty words. As we see this image, this description of this mighty angel, we should be Reminded of the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7, who was clothed with glory and majesty. The the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 12, who was given God's authority. And the angel that descended in might and power in Revelation 10.1, who came to give John the little scroll. We put these clues together and we see that this angel is none other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself, who is coming to declare that Babylon has fallen in judgment. Jesus comes with the strength, with the glory of God himself and declares that Babylon the great has fallen and become a desolate place inhabited by those animals that feast upon decay and also inhabited by demons. This is a picture of Babylon that we are given in Psalm 137.8 as the psalmist is recalling the horrors that Babylon inflicted upon Jerusalem when she came to destroy the city and declares that one day Babylon will be just as empty, just as desolate as she left Jerusalem. And we pull from this image to remind the church that whatever desolation Babylon seeks to bring upon the church, that she will be judged for that and she will be repaid exactly what she gave As Jesus declares that this fate will fall on Babylon and that it will be a fitting and deserved punishment. Now, what are the crimes that Babylon has committed that lead her to fall? In verse three, Jesus declared that she has caused the kings and nation to become drunk on her idolatries and temptations. In other words, Babylon has convinced people that the peace and economic security that she offers is so great that they should give their allegiance and worship to the dragons and his beasts. God promises his people that he will bring a time of peace in the world. And when Jesus returns, that peace will come. But in the late 17th and 18th and on through the 19th century, we had this movement to take our focus away from things that are transcendent, things that are other from this world, and to see Human reason, the collective reason of humanity to be the source and the foundation of all prosperity, 
of all peace. We call this the enlightenment because supposedly the eyes of men were opened, were enlightened to see that eternal and perfect peace could be brought in with just the application of humanity's mental power. Some people went so far as to declare that the end of all war had come at the end of the 19th century. And then they had to declare at the end of 1918 that, well, we had to get one more out of our system before we move to a time of eternal peace based upon science and reason. And then they've been oddly silent since then. I mean, with World War II, with Korea, with Vietnam, with Rwanda, with the Middle East, with all the other wars They've kind of had to back up and say, okay, maybe we need another explanation. See, Babylon is judged because she has tricked the people into relying on her and the things of this earth rather than on God. She has cast her spell through philosophy, through science, through false religion upon the people of the world and have convinced them that her way is the best way and that they should abandon God. We also see in verses 7 and 8 that Babylon is judged for her pride. In these verses, she declares that she is utterly self-sufficient, that she is utterly eternal, that she is a strong, independent woman, and she don't need no man. And she definitely doesn't need a deity to sustain her. And she is judged and warned that she will fall to God's judgment because she has idolized herself. In verses 20 and 24, she is judged for how she treated God's saints. One of the themes throughout the book of Revelation has been the persecution of the church as the people in the church have sought to live faithfully before God. God's people have suffered ridicule. They have suffered loss of income. They have suffered imprisonment. And some have even suffered death at the hands of Babylon the Great. All have struggled to remain faithful to God in the face of growing violence, in the great face of growing temptation to compromise. Even today, you and I suffer societal and cultural pressure to compromise God's law, to compromise God's truth. They are a hardship that are difficult for the Christians, for the church to face. And when those Threats come with government and cultural sanction. They become even more challenging. We we see that Babylon deserves the judgment that is warned against her. And we also see the crimes that she has committed. And we see Babylon's judgment as being swift. Verse 21 describes Jesus bringing judgment by throwing a large millstone into the sea. On one hand, this is a fulfillment of Jesus' warning in, 18, in Matthew 18, 6, where he, he tells the people, as, as he has a group of children there that he is teaching, he tells the people that it would be far better to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown in the middle of the sea than to tempt one of those children, the children of God, to sin. But on the other hand, this is a picture of the, the swiftness and the certainty of the judgments that comes upon Babylon. Have you ever been at a creekside and picked up a rock? It could be a small rock, it could be a large rock, and you just throw it out into the middle of the creek, into the middle of the river, just to see what happens. 
How much of that rock, if you throw it in the middle of a deep river, how much of that rock stays above the surface? Not a bit of it. It's complete. It is completely submerged. Babylon will completely be judged and destroyed because of her sin. How long does that rock float on the surface of the water when you throw it in? Not at all. No time at all. It is a swift judgment that comes and we will see the lament of the swiftness of the judgment that comes upon Babylon here in a few moments. So she is warned of judgment. She is warned of the crimes that she has committed. She is told that the judgment she, that will be swift. And then the judgment is contrasted with the glory that awaits the saints. Look again at verses 22 through 23. After being declared that the violence of a, a, of a large millstone being thrown into the sea is the violence and the swiftness and the assurance, the surety of the judgment that will come upon Babylon we are told that the music of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No workmen of any trade will be ever found in you again. These are, these are artist terms in verse 22. But contrast that with the, the fact that the saints of God all throughout the book of Revelation are portrayed as spending eternity singing the praises and the glories of God. The music that Babylon has produced to catechize its citizens into her ways and into her spells and her trickery will disappear. And only the pure, sweet, glorious music of the saints in heaven worshiping God forever will remain. Next, we see that the sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. Many times we find our identity, we find our hope in our work. And work that is done for the, for the preservation of self rather than for the glory of God will disappear even as the people of God will spend eternity working in the new heavens and new earth for God's glory. We won't be busy doing nothing, brothers and sisters. We will spend eternity doing some type of work for God in the new heavens and the new earth. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. Contrast that with the glory of the angel that has descended down, whose, whose light and glory illuminates his splendor, illuminate, illuminates the earth. We're told later in the book of Revelation that that light will be the source of light for God's people forever. And finally, marriage and joy will disappear from the earth where it, it talks there about the voice of a bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. It's a reminder that the joy that Babylon promises will disappear from this earth. And yet the saints of God will spend eternity partaking of the marriage feast of the Lamb, being presented to God as Jesus' glorious and righteous bride. So we see here that Jesus sends a warning and a declaration to human culture and society as it is arrayed against God. Judgment is surely coming. We've seen one warning. Now we see three laments, three groups of people who mourn for the loss of Babylon. Notice that they don't mourn for their sin. They mourn for the loss of Babylon. Each group is terrified. They know that the judgment that falls upon Babylon will come upon them next. And so the, the text declares that each of these groups is, is not only terrified, but they try to separate themselves as much as possible in physical distance. They lament their loss. 
And then as we are reminded from uh, the, the vision of the trumpets and the vision of the bowls, they refuse to repent. The word plagues that's used here should remind us of those two visions that use the, the, the imagery of the Exodus plagues to show God's judgment falling upon sinful humanity and upon Satan as his minions. And both of those visions ended with the declaration that fallen humanity refused to repent. The first group to lament here are the monarchs, the kings. These kings and rulers see the fall of Babylon and they lament their loss of power. They, they say in verse 10, Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon, O city of power. In one hour your doom has come. Once again, the swiftness of the judgment that comes. But they, they attribute power to Babylon. They attribute greatness to Babylon. Who is the only being in this universe that is truly great, that is truly powerful? Is God himself. They attribute praise to Babylon that should go to God and they lament and are terrified at the loss of their power. The next group, which has the most time spent on it in the text, is the group of merchants as they lament. These merchants have accumulated a lot of stuff because of their allegiance to Babylon. If we were to take time and consider this list given to us in verses 11 through 15, we will see that these are not necessities of life. These are the luxuries. These are the Ferraris and the Bentleys. These are the huge mansions and the gold and the diamond rings that are accumulated by people in the world. They focus on furniture. They focus on perfume. They focus on food and jewelry and clothing and even slaves as they focus on what they lost. They've lost their stuff. They've lost the things that they have accumulated and put in their house on parade over the years. But they find hope and peace and joy in their stuff, or at least they think they do. The last group to lament over the fall of Babylon are the mariners, the sea people, the sea folk. The mariners have accumulated a lot of wealth through their allegiance to Babylon, and they, they mourn the loss of their wealth that was accumulated in service to the dragon and to his beasts. The reminder here for you is this. The things of this world are just that. The things of this world. Whether it's power, money, stuff, they will all ultimately disappear. If you sell your soul for that power, for that stuff, for that money, for love, for comfort, for sex, for cars, for reputation, or whatever you decide to sell your soul for, know that it will disappear and it will disappoint. These things are not inherently bad if they are pursued in faithfulness to God's design and God's law. You can pursue political power as long as you can remain faithful and obedient. Today's political climate that almost disqualifies any Christian for political service. You can have nice stuff as long as it is used for God's mission here on this earth. And you can accumulate wealth as long as you see it as a tool to further God's kingdom on this earth. The danger comes when these things, power, stuff, or money, causes you to compromise your faith, causes you to compromise your obedience. When, you, when these things use you rather than being used by you for God's will and God's glory. 
So we've seen one warning, a warning of judgment. We've seen three laments for the loss of power, for the loss of stuff, for the loss of money as Babylon is judged. We wrapped up with three, we will wrap up with three commands. Or two commands, excuse me. That's right, we're going out of order here, theologian, not mathematician. The first command comes to us in verse four. Come out of Babylon so that you will not be caught by her plagues. We briefly compared Babylon to Jezebel, the wife of the Old Testament king Ahab, when we considered Revelation 17. And in Revelation 2, 20 through 24, the letter to Thyatira, the church is warned against a false prophet that Jesus labels as Jezebel. This Jezebel is teaching the church in Thyatira that you can have your faithfulness and obedience and at the same time compromise God's law, specifically in the area of sexual freedom. Now, the point there does go beyond the idea of sexual freedom, though as important as God's laws are for sexuality, it goes beyond that idea. The point is that when you let Babylon into the church, you put the church in danger of experiencing the judgment that comes upon Babylon. I know you've heard me point this out in Revelation before, and I've pointed this out, this call out repeatedly because, well, it's there in Revelation repeatedly. The call is this, the church and its members must be constantly vigilant to make sure that the church and its members are proclaiming truth and being obedient to God. This isn't merely a command to the minister, nor does it stop with the elders. Both of those offices in the church are important for this, but it is the responsibility of every Christian to keep their faithfulness to God in mind. You are called to live a life in the face of the temptation to compromise for power, to compromise for stuff, to compromise for money. You are called to live faithfully and obedient to God and his law no matter how countercultural or how hard that is. Come out of Babylon is the first command. The second command is found in verse 20 and is a call to rejoice. The saints are called to rejoice because Babylon has fallen. And as we look at the first 10 verses of chapter 19 next week, we will see the rejoicing of the saints because Babylon has fallen. But it's important for us to see that this is not some gleeful, ha ha, you got what was coming to you. This is an opportunity for the saints, the children of God, for you and I to worship and to rejoice because God is exactly who he claims to be. And he carries out his promises. This, this joy is linked once again to the question of Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. How long, O Lord, until we see your glory and vindication of our faithful and obedient lives? The call here is that as we see, as you and I see Babylon judged, we can rejoice because we have seen the vindication of God and the vindication of his saints as they have sought to lead lead faithful and obedient lives. The saints are called to rejoice because God has been faithful to judge and that judgment vindicates the saints' faithfulness and obedience. Living faithfully in this world is difficult. And God is sovereign over that difficulty. God is sovereign over the temptations that come your way. You can rejoice in the hardship because God is and forever will be faithful to his promises. So we've seen one warning, three laments, and two commands. 
Westminster Shorter Catechism, number one, asks the question, what is man's chief end? This is the why am I here question. The answer states that man's chief end, your purpose, your reason for existence, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Revelation is teaching you that part of glorifying and enjoying God is the pursuit of a testimony that is faithful to his truth and the pursuit of a life of obedience. Now, if the dragon had a catechism, and make no mistake, he absolutely does. It's just not written down anywhere. Make no mistake, Satan is constantly using music and media and every means possible to catechize you and your children to compromise everything that God teaches, that God has written in his word. But if the dragon had written down a catechism, his answer to the first question would be something like, Man's chief end is to glorify yourself and enjoy power, stuff, and money forever. And he convinces you that this is the truth, knowing that none of those things are forever. And knowing that glorifying yourself will ultimately lead you, ultimately lead you to judgment, to eternal judgment. Brothers and sisters, come out of Babylon. Brothers and sisters, live lives of faithfulness even when Babylon calls you to a life of ease for unfaithfulness. Brothers and sisters, live a life of obedience even when Babylon tempts you or tries to force you to live a life of disobedience. Prayerfully and faithfully find a way to live in this world without being marked by it, without being changed by it. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we do praise you for the, for the warning and for the calls to live holy lives and to come out of Babylon and to rejoice in your faithfulness. Lord, I pray once again, strengthen us for that walk. Lord, it is difficult to walk in this world and it is getting more and more difficult in our culture every day. Remind us of what has been done for us in the work of Christ. Remind us of what is being done for us now through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Remind us of the glorious future of joy and rejoicing that awaits those who are faithful and obedient. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go this week, seeking to follow God's call to faithfulness and obedience, take this blessing upon you. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. May our Lord Christ encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.